This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by The Backbone of Night by GMB Kamichuk, available at all fine bookstores across Canada and the U.S. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how a genre gets made. In this very special episode, I am going to be um, uh, managed by our longtime producer, Dan Vaderbunker, who is here laughing, wondering where I'm going with this. He told me he had an idea that he would explain to me on the air. So, dear listener, I'm going to learn about it at the same time that you learn about it. Well, it's a story break. We've done this before. Well, that's no right. surprise. Well, so what's just, the big deal? It's going to be in the title. <laughs> it's not, they're not going to be surprised by that part of it. Um, but yeah, I thought we can, since, since uh, of course, uh, Justin Curry, knowing the world over is chasing artwork, is not with us today. Uh, it might be fun to just do a, start, a story. Like he break. didn't die. He's just not, he's just not here at the moment. Right. The way you sounded, Sorry. sounded like something bad had happened. Um, but it might be fun to do a story break where we just kind of brainstorm an idea for a story and where that goes, we just kind of figure it out, right? We've done this. Do you want to talk a little bit more about it? You kind of came up with this or maybe some, you learned it from somebody. Well, you know, story breaking is something that we do fairly regularly off air around here, which is you get a very short space of time, usually about an hour. And you just say, we're going to come up with a complete story in that hour. No arguments, no kerfuffles, just plus oneing, stacking ideas until you get somewhere. You fix it after it exists. You don't try to fix it along the way. And an idea that really sticks has a tendency to endure and make you want to go back and revisit it. And that's the idea behind it. Um, on the 13th of most months, I get together an hour before midnight and do a horror uh, story break. Um, so I get a lot of practice. And... Sometimes it goes real great, and sometimes I'm shaking my head because sometimes it goes so badly. But what you end up with something, what you end up with at the end is a complete idea, good or bad, and now you can turn it around and roll it over and take a good look at it. Not finishing is failure in most creative fields. So learning how to finish, get to the end, even if uh, it's not perfect. Even if it's not the best ending, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's good. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why so many works of fiction don't have great endings. (laughs) I think it's because they spend more time up front in almost everything. uh, And then the ending is just like, okay, we got to finish this thing. Let's go. Uh, And that's fine. I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying it does. It does happen quite often. Um, But before we begin, do you have any tips as far as what makes for a good story break? Like, is there a yes and rule to this? So, yeah. So as a general rule uh, for story breaking, I would say to the uninitiated is don't have too many preconceptions at the beginning, but do have a set of ingredients at the beginning. And so for our 13 horrors, what we will do is I will come with a list of brainstormed, usually a few minutes before we start, locations, character types, and uh, situations that all lean heavily on the tropes of the genre. So, for example, in a in a horror movie, obviously the cabin in the woods, the crazed killer, and the babysitter would be like obvious tropes that we've seen remixed over and over and over again. And so, those would be on a list with a dozen other things. And then you ask merman. the merman, the merman, <laughs> got to mention it, deep cut. Um, then you ask the group 
to select, okay, who wants this, who wants that, and you make every vote count in so much that if four people vote for A, two people vote for B, and one person votes, votes for C, you're going to include all of those in that amount, right? So if it's um, uh, somebody wants revenge and everyone's voting for a revenge theme and only one person says, no, it's an unquiet ghost, you still include the unquiet ghost somewhere in your draft, right? But it only gets as much attention as it got votes from the group. Okay, that's interesting. And it's still not a bad idea. It's in there. And maybe that turns into something else later on, or maybe that becomes a bigger part of the story later on. Like, there's there's so many ways you can go with it. The point is to get something down on paper. Absolutely. Right? Or, that's really what it is. Or just to get it out loud. And to s- sometimes when you hear a, hear what in your head seems like a bad idea, state it out loud, the reaction of the crowd the reaction of your compatriots, um, co-conspirators in the writing, tells you right there you're onto something, even though you weren't sure. And I will say this, often the thing that has the least amount of votes can become the fulcrum by which the entire story is moved, mm-hmm. um, as is true of so many great works of genre. It's the little detail that you didn't expect that right. moves the whole thing. So even in a, even when you're racing for an hour, you can have some pretty... Great twists and turns. Cool. Okay, well, this is we're going to do this a little bit differently because I have a very specific situation ah. that I want to tell a story in. And this situation is actually inspired by a couple things. Uh, first, the uh, show For All Mankind. Are you watching that show? I am so caught up. I <laughs> love that show with my whole heart. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I, I knew you would love it if you watched it, but it's on Apple TV+. Plus, so it's a little difficult. Not everybody's heard of it. So it's it's. A, but if anybody who loves space exploration or the idea of, of, uh, of tra- humans traveling through space and even just in our media, and system. hard science fiction. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a moon exploration, Mars exploration, that kind of stuff. It's very, very cool. And I went in cold when I first discovered it. So I didn't know the, the existing premise. I won't say it here. But I'll say that, you know, in this season, the third season, they do talk about private space, uh, this private space sector, you know, yeah. private companies getting into space travel, which we are seeing in real life now. So this is also partly inspired by Jeff Bezos, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But I'd also watched recently uh, the documentary on Amazon Prime about uh, when they shot Captain Kirk into space a couple months ago. <laughs> so uh, that was really, really interesting. And I, f- I found that um, what Jeff Bezos talked about was he compared it a lot to the uh, early days of flight, right? And he talked about how when they first started, you know, inventing airplanes and building airplanes, people wanted to fly for fun. It was a, it was a ride. It was exciting. Like you got to fly in the air. It was amazing. And so they just sold tickets for that. And that's what built the airline industry, the air, air industry. That's what they went from. Like the, I, I had to look it up. They, they invented flight in like 1903, 40 years later, they are fighting world war two. And it's incredible the, the te- way that technology goes. So my thought I came at this from a different angle, but this is where I'm coming at it from now, um, is that where will we be in 40 years, right? 40 so, years for, but there's a specific reason why it's not exactly 40 years. Um, so, so from this premise of like this privatized space flight industry that we're seeing the very beginnings of right now, and we have Mr. Bezos, we have Mr. Branson and we have Mr. Musk. Uh, let's, let's categorize that as <laughs> space where the S is a dollar sign. Sure, that's a good way of put looking right, at it. Yeah, that is where how they're looking at and, it. And and you know, you know the big argument against it are that you know these are three rich white guys who don't know you know they're just blowing their money on space. But yeah. if they don't do it, nobody's going to do it, right? And that's kind of where I come in and I support this kind of stuff because it's really important. I really do believe in space travel as a viable enterprise. So that's where I want to explore it with this. Uh, let's take a look and see. Let's project out 
the next 40 years, where will we go? And the year that actually this story is going to take place in very specifically is the year 2061. Um, is there, do you, does that ring a bell? Does that year have any importance to you? I'm <laughs> just, just curious. Should it? Uh, it might. For some people, it might. It might. You think about something that happened in 1986 and then it's going to happen again in 2061. Uh, I assume a comet's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a pretty regular comet. Is that, that Haley's comet? That would be Haley's yeah, comet. Yes. It's funny you say that. At a garage sale this weekend, I bought a book by Carl Sagan and Andrian, a huge hardcover book about comets. Oh, that's awesome. This is yeah. perfect, then. Oh, yeah. this might be excellent. So I've been, I got comets on the brain. That's so great. Is, oh, perfect yeah. for this idea, then. I took my shape from your mind. I took your language. I became the woman I found there in your deepest thoughts, your deepest needs. So yeah, the idea is at its core, when the next time Haley's comet comes around, we're sending a manned mission to land on that comet. Let's tell that story. That's what I want to do. Ooh. Okay. So different than a typical story break, we've got all the essential elements sort of set. So we wouldn't deviate from this. So what I would then do if I was going to say, if I'm in the room and sometimes I get in the room and people say, what else you got? Right? So this is one of those moments where I would ask... Aside from the plot here, plot in this case being the actions the characters are going to take over time, they got to get to Halo's Comet, presumably back with some new information. Right. What is it that you would hope to speak about with this story? I would like to speak about the state of the space industry at that time. State. I want to show where we can go with it. I do think this is the way it's going to go. I think private private industry is going to take us there. I really hope to be able to buy a ticket to go into space one day. I really, it's like one of my dreams. I right? really want that, but I think it's a devil's bargain. <laughs> okay. Well, do you want to talk about that then? What right? the, the, the problems with the privatized uh, space industry? So, for anyone playing the uh, darn, this is an audio medium. My notes include right now uh, space with a dollar sign for the S. Uh, 40 years from now, uh, the state of space, a little drawing of Halley's Comet going from 1986 to 2061. And then I am now writing a devil's bargain okay. as far as my brainstorm notes go. Well, but we're seeing that play out in For All Mankind, right? That's that's exactly one of those themes that, that's showing in, in that show. So it's like, yes, with private sector industry, you get the good and you get the bad. There's all kinds of work. Whereas, I mean, in this show, they're kind of playing it up a bit. But the NASA, the government agency is the altruistic. Like, we're pure. We're, we're in it for the science. And we can absolutely have that. We can explore that aspect of it as well, if you prefer. It doesn't have to be private industry going to Haley's Comet. Right. I just thought that was an interesting way look at it so here's the thing i would say if we do this is just something i believe so this Mm -hmm. is my worldview on display now but we do big things the way we do small things right how you do everything is it's just a projection it's Mm -hmm. just this constant so if you say that the space industry which really got most of its funding and drive from aeronautics which got most of its funding and drive for war Right. Yes, right. there were scientific yeah, Jeff, components. Mr. Bezos is skipping over that part All of the evolution along the way. Of the flight. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we make these things so that we can have, and we, in this case, humanity, so that one section of humanity can have a first mover advantage over another section of humanity. Ego is so tied up into mm. shooting a rocket into mm-hmm. the atmosphere mm-hmm. or out of the atmosphere so that's why they look like penises well that's just a function of uh, aerodynamics <laughs> but 
we could ask ourselves. Uh, they could look at they could they could look at like other things too. Right. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. Go ahead, continue. It's not why do rockets look like penises? It's why do penises look like rockets? Oh, maybe maybe that's the way of thinking of it. Okay. Maybe. So um, so I digress there for a moment. Uh, my question then is framed this way for story breaking purposes. If you want to talk about the state of space and space travel, let's first get the underlying premise. State in as few words as possible. What do you think space exploration is good for? Um, <laughs> immediately, what immediately comes to mind is the uh, mining the asteroids for for minerals and resources. Okay, that's that's like the the expanse. We're going into the expanse territory here, which is also hard science fiction. It's also uh, um, very well done, I think. But uh, and you, you could tie. I think you could actually tie it a thread between for all mankind and the expanse and the way those two shows come at that. Right. And that's kind of what, what I want to do as well. I think a lot of the story could be told and we don't have to, again, I don't mean to, to dwell on the, the private sector or that part of it. I, I'm more interested in the Haley's comet part of it, to be honest and see what would, would happen. See what's just, on there. Now we know a fair amount about Haley's comet. As far as I know, I mean, we could Google a whole bunch, right? That's I'm, what I'm saying. There's a lot of information out there. We can, we know exactly where it's coming back. I think, well, pretty much Yeah. Far, as far as the position. So we know what part of the solar system they would have to travel to, to go to it. Right. So there's a lot of that. The you path is very mapped out. Yes. You could get mm-hmm. all of those. So part of the story could take place in that planning but what would be what in um novel writing and screenwriting would call the inciting incident what is the moment that we would ask as Susie maloney would say why this why now right why oh, my alarm why that why now why my alarm goes off right now is to remind me that i'm supposed to be here and i'm late <laughs> you're actually not you're on time right um, <laughs> your alarm doesn't know you my alarm doesn't know me. I set two alarms sometimes. One that's like, get, leave. And then another one that says, you're late. <laughs> just in case <laughs> just you in are. Because most of the time you are. Right. All right. So uh, why this, why now? Oh, okay. Um, well, I, uh, my immediate thought was, uh, well, they, they would want to explore the Halley's Comet as a matter of course, I think. If, if the technology exists for humans to travel to that point, I would like to imagine that by that point we would have reached Mars. Like I'm trying to think in terms of, of expanding out. We would have reached Mars. There's a plan, I think, what is it, 2027 or something like that? They have a plan to go to Mars. But that, that let's, let's assume that continues and that happens. And we have this private sector stuff happening. So the technology exists for us to go to Healy's Comet. So we're going to go. That's, that's just the premise of the... And maybe we can come up with a reason. Maybe we can say, oh... Um, well, I'll plus one your reason right now. Okay. Oh, let's let's okay. Go ahead. There's water on the moon. They figured that out. Oh, yeah. There's water probably on Mars. They're not. I think that's. Uh, I mean, a good chunk of that comet is ice, right? Right. And yeah. a good chunk of that comet is ice. And so, what if you add? What I would do is I would add a piece of technology not yet invented, but is proposed, which would be a engine or nuclear device or some kind of fusion that runs on water, produces air as its byproduct, right? Splits the miracle. H2O. <laughs> miracle technology, right? yes. Right, a miracle yes. technology, but uh, proposed yes, many sure. people yes. searching this out, and uh, we didn't think we could split the atom, but we it has. That. It just has to sound realistic, right? right? It doesn't have to really be realistic. That's, That's the beauty right. of science fiction. And so if your science fiction element is mostly things that are true, and one thing that is not, which is that there is this type of technology, then 
a huge floating block of ice that you can predict when it's going to arrive. You don't have to mine for it. You don't have to refine it. Could then be a resource that would get a lot of people excited. Let's say excited for a further leg of the journey. And Halley's Comet itself passes through the solar system and maybe you could look at that plot. Now these are all things I'd have to look up and do a little research to see where that is. But I would look for the the route of the comet and I would say, where's it gonna pass out of the solar system? What's it gonna be near? And my plot would be a bunch of people who wanna get to the comet, sample it and get home. And one group that wants to get to the comet sit on it and ride it for a good portion of the rest of its journey, right? Converting that water into oxygen and energy for whatever- For the long term. For, from whatever long and term. Then, and then by the time it comes back, it's ready, it's ready for them. That's right. Like it's like a, it's like a factory they put on the, the comet. Ooh, that's a good twist. Even, I didn't <laughs> think of that. I just thought of like a, um, kind of like hitching a ride out of the Oort cloud and out of the solar system. Yeah. But- uh, and then it set, was it seventy five years? Every seventy five years it comes back. So in seventy five years it comes back, and all the all the resources of the comet are packaged up and nice and ready, ready for the to Earth. go. But yeah. then the Earth is destroyed. Oops, sorry, we, <laughs> we d- couldn't wait seventy five years for the comet to come back. Oh no, that's a good idea though. I like that idea. Yes, that, that I, I think again, it, it's uh, it's um, given our history of space exploration. There's certainly a, a good element of, of competition is is good in these stories. Like people love a good space race. She wanted me to survive. Carlson, she's not human. She's not a woman. One of the challenges in any kind of writing is when you put people in a bottle, it limits what kind of story can be told, right? Um, For example, if you have five astronauts in a little capsule and they're on their way, as soon as you limit the number of people, the reader will want to know something about all of them. And so now you have to tell something about all of them, which is not a problem, but it's just necessary. You have to make sure you do it. Right? You right? have to make yeah. sure you do it. That's great. So now you have, if you have a small group of people, who are they? And the plausibility of how they got there becomes really important in a science fiction story. Because in a disaster story, it could be someone from anywhere. In a World War II story, it can be someone almost from any walk of life that gets rolled up into the crisis. But what you're doing in a space exploration story is you're selecting people who have trained for a crisis, who then, in order to make the story interesting, have to be presented with a crisis that they didn't anticipate and is interesting to the reader, and they behave in a way that is not boring because, frankly, most astronauts, if you listen to how they handle crisis, if you, and I've unfortunately for the reader's sake, uh, listen to a lot of astronauts talk about their time in space. The kind of stuff that would send you or I like screaming and panicking, they just like take a deep breath and handle. So how do you make that compelling to the average reader becomes another layer of what to do. Yeah, and I would honestly want to find a way to do it in a non- cliche way because I think we've seen a lot of those stories over the years that you know again we've been I've been binging from mankind so it's there but it's also it's also Apollo 13 it's also so many other right. different things so we've seen that quite a bit so I would want to be, be very aware of what's been done before in informing the new story and I would also be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that uh, Carl Sagan aforementioned uh, brought up many times he was involved in the 
many of the robotic probe missions to other planets that, frankly, they bring back better science <gasps> than humans do. Oh, there's an idea. So what if we did, like, an AI probe going to the comet instead of a crew of humans? Right, because it's safer. Yeah. Right? Nobody is at risk. The reason why you put astronauts on those rockets, at least in the 60s, was because it captured the human imagination. Right. <laughs> monkeys just didn't do it. Right? Well, it's not that monkeys didn't do it or couldn't do it. It's that as soon as they, they did monkeys until they figured out they could do people, and then when people could do it, and then it became a race. Right? Yeah. Um, a race between two iPhones to the to the Halley's Comet, which is essentially what you do if you put two True. algorithms, is less interesting. How do you make that compelling? I don't know. That's true. Oh, man. And what's at stake it, as it's a result? Just, yeah, you, you really want... The thing is, and what the crew offers, what having a human crew offers is just a chance to really have the, the audience identify with the characters and with the story, right? So no. that, that's where you go. That's where you get into the cliches and the tropes of the characters. I right? just had an idea, which okay. is your idea. Okay. I'm pitching your idea back to you. Your idea was technology gets on the comet, goes around in the loop, comes back. What if that already happened in 1986? What if in 1986... Secret government? Yeah. That's awesome. That's so good. That's so good. What if in 1986, a secret government, NASA or Chinese or Russian program got onto Halley's Comet? Oh, that's awesome. And in that intervening 75 years, cracked that water makes... Like water into um, energy cold and fusion. oxygen. Cold, cold fusion. fusion thing, yeah. That's what they go to do. And out of desperation, out of their need for being stranded on this, they crack it and have survived in the interim. But I don't. I think people going there for the second time don't know that. They discover that on the That's comet, right. They right. would find it. Yeah, so they yeah. would go. So then you would have this moment where we sent the safe algorithm robots, right? The little probes to go check it out. And then, oh, my God, there's people on the comet. And how old would they be? Maybe there's another generation of oh, people wow. on the comet. Right. It would be two, at least two generations right? that time frame. So you could yep. have two generations of people on that comet, right, who have survived. They've thrived. Even if maybe you want to they've make encountered alien species yeah, or something. Yeah, maybe they've encountered something really wild. And they've come back with the functioning technology of 1986. <laughs> right? Which That's would be cool. Incompatible, right? Oh, it's be all analog, right? right? There'd be no computers. It would all be all like tapes right? and stuff. So then, those probes would not be able to interface properly. Would not really be the best source of communication. Mm-hmm. So maybe now it's a race before the comet leaves the solar system again. A rescue mm-hmm. mission to try and rescue those people, right? Would they want to be rescued? Are they happy the way they are? You know, it's essentially like a commune now, you know, however you think about it, but it's like a small group of people who maybe that uh, Stockholm syndrome is like right, deep, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. If the astronauts told them the whole time, like, you've been abandoned and we solved this ourselves and, yeah. you know. Maybe they worship the comet as a god. Maybe they met some weird space god. Maybe they're a cult. The- maybe they're a cult that went there. That's what they went instead of the government. <laughs> they were like a cult maybe that flew. Was, okay, they wait, built wait, wait. <laughs> maybe coming back to your idea again, because this is what I'm trying to do. A good collaborator Thank you. comes back around it. to the core concepts that have been pitched to them. Space with a dollar sign. What if a forward-thinking, rich industrialist in 1980 Ooh, yeah. had a parallel space program? That we didn't know about. 
or that we did. Like maybe the maybe the world of this story, they did know about it and they failed. Right, right, yeah. You can always, yeah, you can make right? whatever you want, yeah. right, right. And they failed in their efforts, but they didn't fail. They actually made it to Haley's Comet and they've been living there for the last 75 years and they've come back around wow. with technology that they don't want to share. Maybe they only want to, maybe if it's like your uh, space with a dollar sign, maybe they're only interested in giving the rights, the mineral rights, the technology rights to their heirs and offspring on Earth there. Maybe it's a Russian mission, communist Russian mission from 1986. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and they still think that the Cold War is hard. Still, back. the Cold years. War is still happening 75 years later. <laughs> I mean, these are my people, so I don't want to always cast oh, them I'm sorry. in a role. Oh, I'm sorry. I always forget villain. about that. I forget. Yeah, uh, you it, forget. And you know what? That's been done to death. That has been done to death. That's very fair. So that's fine. But maybe what we could what we could play with is, now again, I'm looking at this state of space, the devil's bargain. Oh, here's the devil's bargain come in. Maybe a Soviet-era mission and a private mission came to odds, and now they're the ones that have the offspring all this time later. And what's great about that mixture is you could say that you don't know what happened. And it's two generations later. So they've been told what makes sense to tell kids who are trapped on a comet hurtling through oh. space. Is Dr. Hans Falada here from the SRC? He knows who we are and what's going on. Okay, so some of the stuff that you've got so far is... Uh, the state of space, the devil's bargain. Uh, you asked something like a hint for someone who is trying to do story breaking and trying to figure it out. And I had made a note for myself here to say, action is character. The easiest way to demonstrate a character who is alone, who cannot talk to somebody to reveal their inner thoughts or feelings, is you have them perform actions that are desperate or otherwise... Um, on display. So what if some of the action you could show is it's 75 years later, maybe the corporation that originally went to Haley's in uh, 1986, maybe they used all of their money, all their budget and the offspring, the now uh, grandchild or great, great grandchild of that person just flinging coffee somewhere. Mm -hmm. And an agency comes to them and says, your grandfather is alive, your great-grandfather is alive, and he'll only talk to you, right? Now you have that fish-out-of-water moment where that person gets swept up into and can be the, the eyes, our eyes, in like, what are the space agencies doing? Why aren't they sending probes? Who are these people? Where did it all come from? He can have the shock and awe that we feel. I would just admit, I would, I would maybe make it a grandmother or a different uh, gender person just to, just to throw that in there. Um, one thing that's it's clear is that, and I think the show again for, for all mankind does a great job with this is showing that the female characters are just as intelligent, and smart as the, the male in, in, in more so in many cases. Uh, and uh, I would love to have a strong female character. And in the eighties, you know, uh, for all mankind takes place part of that trained by longer exposure to more adversity right. more often the female characters, just females in general right. uh, on the planet. So, yeah, able to come up with some uh, outside-of-the-box things. Yeah, so you could think of, like, a, a, um, in terms of a... And, and even this goes back to real life, like, the, the story of hidden figures of all those uh, women who were so in, instrumental in that early space program, and, and they didn't really get any credit at the time. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was you know, that happened. So we could think of a woman, a great-grandmother, or yeah. grandmother, rather, being that person who could uh, have... have 
Wasn't it some of the space travel you're getting at with that grandfather? What was the grandfather again? Yeah. So my thought was that if we tie it into this idea of like ego being the reason right. to go, like whoever the grandmother funded it, did a bunch of research and then they have to find this son, grandson yeah. or granddaughter or person um, to, to do whatever it is they need them yeah, to do. Right. This ancestor. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, but it has to be the direct descendant of this person that did this thing. That's the, that's the, that, that's not a MacGuffin. What is that called? Like the rules that you're setting out for yeah. the story to happen, right? Yeah, this plausibility. So it's inheritance. Whoever, yeah, you know, it's their it's their inheritance. Essentially, is floating out there. Uh, so my thought is the ego of the person in 1986. Some, you know, in my mind, it's instantly a like Texas oil tycoon, but who just always would rather have been an astronaut than a cowboy. Oh, that's, that's pretty, I think, a realistic right? a person, sure. And so that person is out there, and maybe the only support and help they could get at that time was the Soviets. Right? Oh, there you go. Who had the first mover advantage in a lot of rocket technology. And maybe this guy did try to go to the U.S., go to NASA, and they were just kind of shot him down and said, they no, said, no. We're, so we're doing now it. Now you could have yep. cosmonauts and an American U.S. Uh, uh, citizen and they've gone and it ended in horrible disaster, which is why no one talks about it. Yeah. Right. And the iron curtain cut it off from the world and the NASA cuts off. You just, you have this great little bit of conspiracy you could tie right. into it. And then that person suddenly is radioing back. Right. Whatever else has gone on on that journey, right? They're now receiving transmissions, but they'll only talk to hmm. one of their family members because they don't trust anyone else. Right, right, right. Right? And maybe that grandfather told the granddaughter, who's now the guy's grandmother, like, one day I might call. Right, right. Right? Okay. And so then she's too old to answer the call, so she reaches out now to her grandson or granddaughter and it's like it's up to you now and then nasa sweeps them up and sends them on a mission to recover because it's you know if it was just a bunch of crazy wackos on a comet you could probably just let them go off into space and not worry about it but they've cracked the technology of cold fusion which the whole world needs at this point in the future right and that's the other uh, thought, uh, theme I'd like to explore a bit is, is the state of the environment in our climate in, in 50 years um, or 40 years or whatever the time frame is because that's – I don't think it's going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. So what we're seeing now is just the beginning of what, what it's going to be in the next couple of decades. So I think that's worth certainly worth mentioning at some point in the story that the earth is on fire and that we need this, absolutely need this technology in order for the earth to survive. Right. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Okay. And um – and then that gives you a point of view also, just from a writing standpoint, of the main character has a reason, that fulcrum, and we'll use that word again, to change their choice from, like, I'm not going to space, you're crazy, like, I just work at a bookstore, I just, like, sell coffee, to, but the world literally needs this, right? It's right. worth the risk. Yeah. Like, even if you died, it'd be worth the risk for the benefit of every other person. Right. And so you'd have to write a character now that we believed would put everyone before themselves. And that kind of person, frankly, is a pretty rare. So how do you how do you go about writing a character? I've never really thought about this. So, again, action is character. Okay, Right. So you don't say I shouldn't say like 
do and don't as if these are hard and fast right, rules. No. I don't write this character is a good person. I would write that this character is checking their mail and notices that three of the letters are misfiled, walks up the street three blocks and puts it in the, in the mailbox of where it belongs. Now the reader knows that this is the kind of person who will go out of their way to set things right and not receive thanks, right? So action becomes character in that way. Better than another character saying, uh, like every Steven Seagal movie, they open the file and they say, oh, this person is such a hero. They've got seven purple yeah. hearts and he'll do this and this is, there's no other person we should send. It works in a pinch. In film, it makes sense to do that. You're on borrowed time. But in a novel, you got a whole paragraph worth of delivering someone else's mail, if you want, that doesn't take you too far afield of the story. Sure. Right? So those are the things you could do. So yeah. putting them in a regular... To answer your question specifically, if you put that character in a regular situation and you have an irregular event occur, you just describe what they do that you hold in high esteem. You just give right. them those behaviors. Well, and it doesn't have to be a good, like if the character is not a good character, then you just describe what, do the what behavior you think they would do in that situation. That's right. It's just you, you envision the character, envision a person, and then just envision what that person would be doing in this scenario that you've created for them. Right. Right? Um, okay. In a book project that I'm working on right now, which uh, I mentioned, I guess, in the last uh, podcast, um, the ink is not yet dry on the contract, so we'll leave the names out of it. Sure. But I have a character that I've told myself... This one character in the book is going to say everything I wished I would have the foresight to say in a crisis. There's a lot of crisis in this book. And this one character embodies everything it's, I wish I could say when things are bad. And things are kind of bad all over right now. And is this the of, next... Oh, that's not given. Go so, ahead. Is it not the next automatic age book? Not the next okay. automatic age. It sounds like the automatic age to me. Not the next automatic age. A new book that I'm working on and... The point of this is to say, how do you write character? I don't know how everyone writes character, but how I write characters, I give them actions and I describe the actions um, kind of leaning right or left to whatever you think the point of your story is. So that brings us back around. What's the moral of our story? This woman is a masochist, an extreme masochist. She wants me to force the name out of her. Could go back to the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Go back to Star Trek Two, um, because you know that's still true. That is a very true statement, right? Each according to their gifts, right? Star yeah, Trek, but but uh, the, the lesson. Country. <laughs> Didn't they quote Shakespeare in that one? They show they quote Shakespeare in almost every Star Trek, which is I think why I loved Shakespeare so much when I finally discovered it. I'd watched so much Star Trek, not realizing. It was Shakespeare. They were stealing Shakespeare, like <laughs> over and over, all the original series. Whenever there's a really great line, they stole it from Shakespeare. Okay, interesting. Right? Cool. Well, there you go. Anyway, um, what were we saying again? I don't remember. Because right. we got derailed Start by Star, Star Trek, Trek yeah, which is not a bad thing. But here's what Star Trek does really well. Every episode is a bottle. Every episode is a finite problem that you know as a viewer, all the characters are going to make it through. How do you make it interesting and exciting? The writers en masse in Star Trek have always been selected because they're good at that theatrical way of bringing your emotion up. The emotional stakes of the characters are usually higher than the physical danger to the ship. Yes, the ship could blow up or get sucked into a wormhole, but 
Chakotay might be a dad. Right, like these are. Was that a real storyline? That was a real storyline. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm almost to Voyager. I'm like, oh uh, shit, sorry. No, well, no, I've seen it, but of course, but it's like, I uh, I'm halfway through DS- DS9 right now. My rewatch, so I'm just gonna do one series at a time. Right. Um. Yeah. No, I get that, and it is very good at that. So, so to apply that back to our, I guess, our story here, um, I, I, you know, I like the idea of not necessarily killing off characters just for the sake of. Shock, shock, and dramatic purpose. Like I, I think that that's just done too much. So if we could even guarantee that most of our characters are going to make it through this, I think that's a good rule to start out with. Just the, that because it would be kind of unexpected, right? Because uh, I just finished watching a movie and it was such a ripoff of Alien, where it was just like everyone just got knocked up one by one, and it was so. It's called Star Quest. It's on uh, Tubi. Um, that's an old. That's a deep cut. It's ninety four. Came out yeah, ninety four. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was it was actually not bad. Ming Na Wen is in it. Uh, way 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 before she was on Star Wars, uh, but uh, it's very very good. Well, not very very good. Sorry, it's very interesting. I would say. Did you watch it because it had a quest in the name? Yes. 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 That's just in. in Are you going to do a fan quest movie night with only movies that have quests? Oh, in we the could name? probably do it. I bet you we could do the quest. We could do um, quest for fire. Quest for fire. Um, Star quest. Jeez, yeah. There's there's a uh, uh, maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe those four. That's it. That's a lot. Sorry, we're off off track. Anyway, it was another one of these types of stories where it was it was um, like it was a, it was basically on a ship, finite amount of crew, and they basically get killed off one by one, and that, that's kind of the story. I don't want to do that. I want to do something different where the crew survives, and yet, like one of the things I find, I just expect people to die in any kind of space situation. It's just something that's because it's so freaking dangerous. Yeah, it is so dangerous. It's yeah. like the most dangerous thing. You're leaving the planet. You're leaving the safety of our planet. For cold space, right? So the, I just expect people to die in space all the time. That was the punchline when they were describing Gravity, the Sandra Bullock film. Uh, you know, it was described as a horror movie where the monster is space, mm-hmm. right? Because everything is after her, quote unquote, right? And I think that that is, it's a terrifying idea. Also, to me, what's of interest is people who are willing to leave everything behind given the high probability that they will not survive. Yeah. And seem to do it with a smile. Like, how do you find those people? And then coming back to our story, if our character who is just like, you know, works part-time at a bookstore, suddenly finds himself in a capsule with five people who are totally at peace with what their job may ask of them, we get a moment for him to actually discuss it with them. Mm-hmm. And each of those characters gives us the means by which they compartmentalize or they accept, or I feel like there's some meat in a story like that yeah. where you, you get a person who, you know, I overheard, I was eavesdropping as I am want to do when I'm at a coffee shop or a restaurant. And there were two people who are training to be police officers who were having, uh, lunch beside me. We were sitting at a bar uh, or bar seating. So I got to be really close to what was supposed to be a private conversation. And one of them talking about how someone got washed out essentially of the program because they kept admitting to the emotional uh, burden that the job creates when everyone knew you just don't mention it. So, for example, they would, after going on a ride along or after doing, I don't know how the police system works. I didn't get all those details from the conversation. (laughs) But what I did know is that after when they were talking to the people who were asking them for the debrief, 
they would say, oh, I was really worried that, you know, what if I got killed and I'd never got to see my daughter grow up? And they would get a little check mark against them like, nope, we don't say those things. We think those things, but we don't say those things out loud. Because if we talk about those things too often out loud, it creates a culture where we're always thinking about those things instead of doing our job, Mm -hmm. right? Complicated. So I'm sure in the astronaut training, there must be a similar line of reasoning where at a certain point you stop talking about what's at risk. And so when you drop a character who has not had that training, who will ask them, like, how are we doing this? Why are you doing this? What's going on? They'll be forced to tell those things they haven't thought about or unpacked in a long time. And now you have the meat of a real story, which is human drama. There you go. Right? That's great. Okay, let's get back to the story for a second, because I'm still fuzzy on some details. So we have this original mission in 1986. Yes. Uh, Texas billionaire teams up with the Russians to send a, a mission over there, whatever it is. Secret, could yeah. be secret government. We haven't, But it's a mission that goes to the comet, and people are on the comet. Now we're sending another mission. Now it's 2061. We're sending another mission back with this person who's this descendant of this. Well, I think first they find out they receive transmission. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. They that know, shouldn't be there. Right. Hey, here comes Haley's oh, comet. Oh, yes. Oh, you know, that's always my favorite part of these movies when they're like, they hear, that's a signal. Yeah. Like, what do you, wait, 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 wait. And they hear, and, right. they, and they're touching, they're holding their yeah, headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And they hear, dee, 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 and this little thing like that. That's yeah, right. that's always fun. So we need to have that scene where here comes Haley's comet. Okay, is it on? It's just where we thought it would be. Yes, but there's something strange, sir. What's that? Right, right. It's giving off radio transmissions. What? Gasp. What do they mean, right? We don't have the, uh, we don't work on those wavelengths anymore. They got to go run and get old technology, oh, yes. right? They got to set awesome. it up. Yeah, they yeah, got to yeah. decode it. It's a transmission that only a few people alive left in the Navy, say, use. And so now they're, they're piecing it all together. And what I would say is in the, uh, between the 60s and the 80s, the Soviets did these things where they called, they were like sealed science cities, apocryphally. So they would have these, think tanks, these like closed cities where no information left and no information came in and they would just work a problem with the population. Wow. Right? And some people say they for sure existed. Other people say they weren't quite as exciting as all that. It was just like a place where the scientists lived and it happened to be close to Siberia and Americans, you know, uh, engrandize everything. And that's, it wasn't so bad. Um, but if we took that idea and we said, what if this Texas billionaire made his own secret science city somewhere in Nevada or somewhere okay. in Texas, yep. right? His own launch system, his own, he just takes that idea and is using Soviet scientists, which he's helping to defect. You can come to America, I'll help get you out, but you got to help me build my rockets. Right, yep. And so in the 80s, he goes, lands on Haley's Comet. So that mixed crew of people are there. Why? That's what we need. Why would they go through all that trouble to go to Haley's Comet? There has to be something well, in Well, dollar the signs, right? Dollar signs. And that, that's the... So, if it's dollar signs, then there's something about Halley's Comet's ice. I'm just making... I'm just yeah, riffing yeah. here. Halley's Comet's ice that's different than normal ice so that cold fusion will work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In their available technology. Sure, it's got some kind of a chemical difference or some right? kind of a And atom. I'm pretty sure in the, at least the 60s, but I'm sure a lot sooner than that, us... Uh, they could do spectrometry, spectrometry, I think that's the way you say the word, uh, so that you would... I don't think anybody says it like that, but spectrometry. go ahead. Spectrometry. 
Spectrum. You, you use a you spec- spectrometry. Spectrometry. <laughs> Spectra- We're going to cut out the part where I don't know what I'm saying. Go I ahead. should look it up. But what the, the science is where you bounce light off something or you read the light that's mm. bouncing off someone, you can tell what it's made of. So they- Spectroscopy. Spe- no. no, that's not it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I looking- thought it would be all smart. Okay. You look it up and say it's smart and then cut it so you have the right answer. What, what are you talking about, though? Spectroscopy. It's where you can tell what something's made of by the light that comes off. Of. Spectroscopy. I, uh, that is a word. The. Yes, that is spectroscopy is the word. You, I was right. Yes. You were right all the time. Yes. Okay, so that practice <laughs> of reading the spectrum of light from an object is what they use to figure out something that no one else has figured yes, out. Yes, that's right. Right? So they went. Now what? They the got first caught. mission? Are we talking about the first, first mission? mission? Well, the first mission got stuck or something. I, I think that. See, I'm not really interested in that right now. What I'm really wondering about was what is the point of the second mission? What do they need to do to save the Earth? They so, need they need to get this in energy. So I think they've come up with a way to make cold fusion. And they need to go to his... They've figured it out, but someone figured it out 70 years earlier. Right. Right? So it's like that first mover advantage, right? Like private money jumped faster... Then, so you're saying that like this, whatever the, the special thing about this ice, somebody on Earth in the ensuing time between the comets passing has yeah. discovered this about it and then realized, oh, crap, there's a bunch of this ice on Halley's Comet. That's we right. should be. But the other guy got there way first. Way first. Right, okay, I got you. Yeah, okay. So, so now they have something. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but yeah. now they have something to fight over. Right. right? And then the, this person needs their DNA sample uh, to access the the safe. The get, safe? What, not a safe. Maybe not a safe. Maybe a computer or something. Some kind of no thing. computers. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay. Well, there's something. Yeah, okay. So they need to provide some kind of a um, something to prove that they are who they are. What if he looks exactly like him? And there's a message. It's got to be a recorded message from the person to the to the descendant, right? That's also yeah. a little tropey, but I like that. I like to have the like a, it lends meaning. You can have a little message about get it for me. I can't do a Texas accent. Um, <laughs> do it for me, son. Do it for the world. It'll be much less terrifying if you just come to me. Are the people still alive on the comet? Someone is, yes. Someone is, has to be alive on the I, comet. Okay, so I love the idea that it's a generation later that has... So this now, here comes to... This is, the, this is us putting our writer's brain on and figuring out our theme. Okay. Because now what we've got by accident are two characters, the people on the comet and the person from Earth who's coming. We have two groups of characters who both have an inheritance of a sort, right. right? And are both equally sort of, I don't know, have a claim, have a right to whatever that inheritance should be. And you can call into question the ideas of colonization, the ideas of exploration, the ideas of like, if you got there first, is it really yours? If it could help everyone, right? right? And you also have this idea of like that early Soviet idea of like collectivism, which, you know, got overrolled into some really horrible Stalin-esque monstrosity. But maybe some little kernel of it in a small enough group that's just a family, you know, they kind of were on board with it. Maybe they got convinced early, those first wave of scientists, that this guy wants to get there to help all the world and we're on board and, you know... Okay. So you have a seed of these people who think you should share it. And maybe the twist in it is that the guy, uh, our bookstore guy, 
on the mission realizes that the crew's plan is to take it and keep it and sell it and profit from profit it from and, and it. yeah not give and it to the world and that the people on the comet's plan who started as a capitalist venture to you know start a thing have had a change of heart in 75 years two generations and now they just want to give it back yeah and they want to give it to everyone and the other group cuz now we're talking about geopolitics in the next 40 years yes do you think if we're talking about NASA, do you think America is going to be more likely to in a, be in a position where they just want to share everything with the world? I hope so, but I <laughs> strongly doubt it. Yeah, it's not likely. Right? Yeah. So then they'd want it. They'd want that first mover advantage. They'd yeah. want to be the ones with cold fusion first. And if we're, if we're trying to create a story about the state of space, I'm looking back at my note, and the devil's bargain, what's the bargain you'd have to make to bring this thing back? Mm-hmm. And who's making that bargain? Those are questions you have to answer. Go oh, I, I'm not going to answer them right now because we're almost at the end of our time. But oh those are all very good questions. And I think uh, I think this is really good. This is uh, a good beginnings of a story here. We've got a... So to make it a proper story break, we okay. need an end. Oh, okay. So the end is uh, they get to the... They get to the comet. They find this person happened. There is a conflict. We have to work out the conflict now, what that is. I guess the, that's the con- conclusion. Um... What, what to do it? with the inheritance? To share or not to share? Is it a happy ending or a sad ending? I, w- I want to go happy. I just kind of okay, so happy ending. Time. Yeah, but, and I don't. I want there to be some kind of. So I don't want it to be obvious. So we'll work that out later. But we'll be happy. We'll be, they do said they do end up sharing it with the world. So that instinct to say let's figure it out later, forbidden in this. Oh, is that right? This, in okay. The story break. Just because I don't want to give it away. We'll figure it out now. <laughs> we'll figure it out now. What is the reason? Cut it out if you don't want to. It's not a great idea. But if it's a happy ending, what is that happy ending? My first thought, my gut, is they're transmitting, as we said already, just come. Okay, so here's the thing that we have skirted around a few times and by example have shown, but I'll say it tacitly now. When you're trying to figure out the end of your story, it's somewhere in the details you've already put forward. There is no new exciting end to your story. You already have the end. You just haven't figured out what detail in the beginning you're going to use as your end. So when you're stuck on how to end your story, you go back and you look at those early details. One early detail that occurs to me here is that when we first hear about the comet, they're transmitting on technology that no one has anymore and aren't picking up that frequency. So could not our young bookstore guy who has access to who knows what kind of regular democratized technology, old media, take the schematics and disseminate them upon his arrival to Earth, unbeknownst to everybody else. So the the devil's bargain is you feel like they've made a deal to get these people home and to in order for no one to die, they're going to give up the technology and they get home and then bookstore guy goes back to work and he plugs in his phone and he hooks it up to the internet and now everyone has access to that thing because he's got copies of it. You know, something as simple yeah. as a regular person might share it, but a government wouldn't. 
Yeah, I could. I was thinking more in terms of maybe a, a broadcast from the ship to back to Earth from the comet. Here's a secret to ever, for everyone to have, and just kind of and it would the solar keep, and it would keep transmitting. Yeah. So that every 75 years, you'd have it again <laughs> that's right, yeah. in case you lost it, right? Yeah, and, there, and I'd like to to kind of uh, that's something I thought about as well is like what happens to the comet after it leaves the solar system? Like it's going to continue on, right? Yeah. So something I like to kind of have some kind of ending scene or whatever where it's like. We're going to see the comic continue on as, as it does all it has for millions of years. Like it's just, it's just ever changing. The universe is ever not changing, but the ever the universe is the same, even though we are living in it and having all these crazy things happen, right? It's just going to keep going. So, yeah. I don't know. or have we eaten up the comet so much that it's not, maybe we destroyed the comet, but I think that's another way to go that we haven't. Yeah. Maybe it's today. like just a fraction of it. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's been eaten up and it's a small, way smaller. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Now we need before we let you go a mm. working title. Okay. Oh man. So I've used the word inheritance a few times. It might be a little too on the nose. Um, Haley's inheritance. What if his name was Haley? What if he's a great descendant of the actual Haley who de- who detected S- Haley's comment in the first place? The Texan is like who <laughs> doesn't be Texan. Hey, just, well that's a pirate voice. Come on. Okay, we're getting silly now. Um, let's I, something Haley's. Not Haley's. I don't. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's gonna go for it. it. Has to have comet. It has to be something to do with the comet and the the you know destruction of Earth. Yeah, comet is in the title. Um, the something comet. The last comet. The or something ice in the title or cold tail. Something about a comet's tail. Um, tale of the comet. Tale A-L-E. of the comet. That's been taken. That's oh, it's, oh, year of the comet. What's the movie? Year of the comet. That's another whole other thing. Well, I guess that's what I'm going to use for my clips now. <laughs> right? Yeah. There you go. Chicote's in that as well, actually. All right. So uh, we have a few working titles. Oh now. man, I none of would, them are great. They no. Don't leap out. Um, comet man. <laughs> <laughs> Just write it down. I'm writing it down because that's what a good collaborator would do. <laughs> We'll work it out. It's fine. I'm not. I'm honestly. And here's the thing: when I write, like for when I write my articles, the CTV, the, the headline is the last thing I do. I don't write anything. I don't come up with a title until I've completely written the whole story. Cold so comet. That will not be the final title of this thing. But yeah. that's a good working title. I like that. Yeah, cold comet. Because it's cold fusion. It's about a comet, and uh, we'll put a little Texas hat on the logo. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, you want to get on there? <laughs> Justin's our logo guy. Okay, right. you got to wrap this up for us then. You were the boss. This has the been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am Dan Vadamonker, encouraging you to join the fight and make comics.